All right, we are back with another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Um, This is our first one that we are recording mid-quarantine. Of course, I'm Kyle Bird. With me is my co-host. Matt Parmley. Um, Matt, why don't you introduce our uh, our guest hosts for the night? We have Mr. Uh, Kaiju for Hipsters author Kevin Derendorf. Yeah, I think um, I was on the Sayonara Jupiter podcast, and they just decided that every time there's a long-ass movie based on a Sakyo Komatsu <laughs> novel, they're going to bring me on now. So That would be your, uh, your claim to fame, I think. Uh, then we have John LeMay from uh, – are you, are you in Roswell? Is that where you're at, John? Um, yeah, I'm in Roswell, New Mexico. How's, uh, how's Quarantineville going there? It's uh, my really my life hasn't changed except for now when I go to the gym there's like nobody there. Well, wow, otherwise are, gyms here are your gyms open? No, I mean, <laughs> but I opened it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin, are you guys locked down? Oh, you yeah, are, yeah. You you've been locked we're, down, right? We're we're in New Jersey. We we've, we've been locked down a while. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, between me and Kevin, we have two of the worst of the top five cor- uh, uh, coronavirus states um, representing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yes, we are mid quarantine. Um, uh, I'm not sure the order the next the, the, our you know current batch of podcasts is going to be released in necessarily, but we recorded two last week, and that was like. We weren't locked down yet, uh, but yes, now we are officially in quarantine. Uh, we are only to go out when it's absolutely necessary, um, and uh, yeah, it's horrifying. Um, so uh, I have to give credit to Matt here for saying, like, hey, why don't we review the 1980 film Virus? And I said, like, okay, that might be a little too real right now, but why not? Um, we need, we need, uh, we either need clicks or like we just wanted to sulk into despair. I don't know, maybe both. I don't know. And somehow these jokers got involved too. I don't really, nec- I don't even really remember what the conversation was like. I think we just said like, does anyone else want to come on? And they were like, sure, whatever, or something. <laughs> I, I, I don't, asked, I don't really know. It- I think I just asked, does it make me a bad person that I want to watch Virus now? It does. Okay. Well, it's like therapy, though, in a way. Right? I was running through the street saying, life is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Too soon, Kevin. (laughs) uh, And, yeah, and then we we had a podcast, so... um, yeah, here we are with Virus, a.k.a. Day of Resurrection, uh, which is a much more hopeful title, which is the, the Japan. I think that's the Japanese title, but most of the time it's referred to as just Virus. Um, and uh, if people don't know Kinji Fukasaku, he is... I don't know, probably one of the more prolific Japanese directors. Um, uh, a, kind of a strange filmography, because he has, like, The Green Slime and Message from Space and this kind of goofy uh, 
sci-fi stuff, but then he has, like, Battle Royale and uh, the Yakuza paper. A whole bunch of great gangster films, uh, Battle Without Honor and Humility. Um, He did, uh, he co-directed Torah, Torah, Torah. Um, So he's kind of just, like, all over the place. Um, uh, Quentin Tarantino dedicated the Kill Bill movies to him. Um, but yeah, what, that's kind of a, an interesting filmography, wouldn't you say? It goes from, uh, Torah, Torah, Torah to Message from Space. That's a, I mean, you watch those and you wouldn't think the same guy made them, but hey, there you go. Um, so no shortage of great and not so great films, um, (laughs) But yeah, probably one of the more influential Japanese directors uh, outside of, you know, your usual art house circuits. Um, so I guess Virus, um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit of the rundown here and then we can kind of get into the meat of this whole thing. Um, it's both strange and not strange that for a movie that was made with an international cast and a gigantic budget and a bunch of star Hollywood actors that there's really not a whole lot of information that I was able to find on this movie. But then again, it's also not so weird because for as expensive and star-studded as it was, uh, it flopped in Japan and went straight to cable here in a butchered, shortened cut. So... It almost like seems like it just immediately fell into obscurity. Um, but uh, the year is 1980. Uh, that's when the movie was released. And this was a movie made by Katakawa, who uh, weren't known for making movies, really. Um, and, of course, they bought out... Gamera fans No, they bought out uh, Daie. Um, but, yeah, they were a publishing company. And... The Katakawa, the guy that ran it, uh, from what I understand, was seeing how the European and Japanese film industries were in a slump, which is to say the least, especially in Japan. Um, And he was like, you know what? I'm rich. I'll throw a crap ton of money at a film and get all these stars, and it's going to be shot in English primarily, and... Uh, it'll be a big international hit and, um, you know, kind of taking note from the disaster movies of, you know, the last few years, like Earthquake and, um, uh, I almost said Airplane, uh, Airport. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Airplane is a parody of Airport, so I I was on the right uh, track, um, and, uh, came up with the idea to make, um, this and uh, at the time, I feel like we've said this for, uh, about a few movies in the history of this podcast, but at the time, it was the most expensive Japanese film ever made. Um, uh, the cast is freaking insane. Um, Bo Svensson, Olivia Hussey, Robert Vaughn, Chuck Connors, Glenn Ford, George Kennedy, Henry Silva, Sonny Chiba... Um, Edward James Olmos, uh, I mean, that's just a small handful. Go to the IMDb or, or whatever, and the cast is ridiculous. 
Um, and uh, based on a novel by Sakyo Komatsu, who uh, co-directed Sayonara Jupiter, based on his book. Uh, but we we cannot talk so much about that and mention that he also uh, wrote um, the material that was the basis for a ton of stuff. Espy, um, Submersion of Japan... Um, uh, he wrote the the Monkey Army for Subaraya Productions, right? Or Time of the Apes, as it's known here. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's he's been called the Japanese um, Arthur C. Clarke. I haven't read his actual stuff, so I, I can't I can't say how accurate that is. Um, but yeah, just uh, a lot of really known sci-fi work. Um, I know. S- Sinking of Japan and um, Virus, at the very least, at the very least, those two novels did get English language um, uh, releases. Um, I think those are his most high-profile ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wasn't able to find out too much about the novel, and I know none of us have read it. Um, but uh, apparently, in the novel, the the virus sample comes from space and then is quickly uh attempt it, there's an attempt to weaponize it by the government after that it, it it follows a similar trajectory i guess but um so uh i kind of will run through some um broad uh plot points and kind of give an overview of just what the movie's about um so, uh, there is a man-made virus, uh, that it's alluded that it was, um, it was created after a night, the movie takes place in 1982, so in 1981, apparently it was made illegal for there to be any man-made viruses, um, and due to some shady dealings, um, one is created, and it is being transported between, um, Germany and is it Germany and the Soviets? Yeah, because was... Germany was split up at the time. Uh, yeah. So it was, you know, the East Germany. Okay. So anyway, um, so they're taking this virus sample and, uh, the plane carrying them, uh, crashes and the container breaks. And from there, the virus gets worse. Now, stop me if you've heard this before. Um, so we have this virus known as MM8. Is it MM88? MM. Yeah. Okay. So this virus, um, it uh, very quickly spreads globally, um, and uh, it first uh, uh, hits really bad. And like I said, the, this might sound a little familiar. I can't quite pin down why it sounds so familiar. Maybe someone can help me. Um, but it, it gets the ver- to its very worst peak with the highest death tolls in Italy. Um, and the rest of the world watches and is kind of not too alarmed by it. Um, 
and uh, you know, there's martial law declared, and you. But but even even with those precautions, um, you know, people are still going out partying, coughing on each other. Um, you know, at one point we have some characters. I believe it's some people in Sonny Chiba, uh, Doctor Sonny Chiba's team, who are saying they don't really understand why it's a big deal. And uh, you know, it's it's just it's kind of like the flu, really. And you know, who I don't get it. Why is this such a big deal? Um, and then uh, uh, the president. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of rushing along trying to get, uh, you know, vaccines created. Um, but, but see that that's really difficult because he, he slashed the, um, the, the HS, is it the HHS or H HSS, um, health and human services. Yeah. He slashed their budgets, um, against the, the, uh, advice of of Congress and all those around him, um, so so he doesn't really have a whole lot of people that can really deal with the problem, um, uh, the way that they should, um, and so it very quickly spreads across the globe. Oh, but it, but it turns out that in Antarctica, uh, the virus is dormant. Um, geez, can anyone help me in kind of? pinpointing why that seems like something else that I've seen before. Um, you know, a really bad Italian thing and a president that, uh, you know, really kind of bungles things up to make it difficult to deal with. I don't know, man. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I, I just had a dream. Anyway, so that that's kind of where we we reach the halfway point in the movie, and then the next part is more or less what everyone is doing to deal with it. Like I said, Antarctica is basically the only place where life still exists. Uh, there's something like 800 and some uh, people still alive, only eight of which are women. Um, who, uh, yes, uh, I'm you. I'm sure. Uh, as you can probably imagine, that goes to some very uncomfortable places where not only how, like, just how, how is that going to work? Um, and, uh, oh, I should also mention that, uh, because, um, of the Cold War and everything, um, it was really, uh, there was a lot of paranoia in this film about, uh, you know, well, what if the Russians get the virus and they weaponize it? Uh, what if we can't get the virus first? Very similar to how we talk about nuclear weapons with other countries. Um, so, uh, crazy general played by Henry Silva says that, well, in case Russia were to ever weaponize it and use it against us, we should turn on what's called the ARS, which is basically activating all the world's nukes, and all it would take, it would take very little to just, you know, press a button, launch all of our nukes. Um, and so, once everyone's dead, yeah, that's another thing, is um, our character uh, Yoshizumi, uh, played by Masao Kusakari, um, if I'm saying that right. Um, yes, yeah, so he is predicting that an earthquake um, in the United States is going to trigger the ARS, and we will also have a nuclear apocalypse on our hands. So um, a plague apocalypse or a nuke apocalypse, why not both? Um, yes, and so he and, uh, a, um, uh, an American played by Bo Svensson have to go and try and find a way to 
deactivate that. And um, in the meantime, like I said, there's a whole lot of going on. This char- this movie has about 700 characters. Um, and that's probably as brief as I can make a plot synopsis for a movie this um, robust, I'll say. Um, so that's Virus. Uh, I first saw this, I got one of those cheap, like, horror movie packs from, like, Mill Creek or whatever that has, like, public domain, like, VHS transfers, and I first saw this in the cut 100-minute version or whatever, and then this is the first time I've seen the full two-and-a-half-hour version, um, which is streaming on a couple streaming services, but, uh, so yeah, um... How how does everyone feel about this? Well, I actually really liked it. So I, I when I was a kid, I think I saw a VHS of it, like one of those really cheap public domain VHSs. Then I think I just saw the Toho name on it and Sunny Chiba, and kind of knew it was sci-fi. And I watched it, and I really didn't like it. I mean, I knew there was no monsters, but I think I expected more like destruction and stuff which didn't happen till the end of the movie so i didn't actually finish it i think i made it to like the antarctic scenes and i gave up and then about a year and a half ago i finally watched the whole thing just because i liked submersion of japan so much and i I really actually enjoyed it so um maybe it's because i had low expectations though who knows (laughs) Um, i actively uh, think it's okay go ahead Oh, I, I actively uh, sort of avoided it for a while at first because, you know, I was uh, like, oh, well, there's no monsters. Why bother? And then we're, we're a gajiller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and then uh, and then uh, when I got older, it was like, oh, well, this is finding finding the complete version of the movie is a nightmare in the U.S. So uh, it, it took quite a while to actually track down the the original Japanese cut as opposed to the American version. And I didn't, wasn't interested in watching it unless it was the whole thing. So I, uh, I start I watched it, tried watching it probably five, six months ago. Um, I got to the halfway point where, uh, there's a five-year-old that commits suicide over radio <laughs> as Sonny Chiba's character is listening, listening on cause the world is falling apart and everybody's dying and this kid's looking for his mom and stuff. And that's about the point where I was like, yeah, I think I've had enough of this. Um, but I wanted to give it a go this time, just kind of as maybe a cathartic thing. And I, I think the first half of the movie, there's a lot of stuff that I really liked. And I think it sort of takes a nosedive towards the end. There's a lot of things that I think are, they go on a bit too long. And um, I'm, the ARMS thing, the automatic response system, the way that the movie sets up this nuclear apocalypse is a bit jumbled for me. I don't, I don't love it, but um there's some stuff that I really like and there's some stuff that I really don't like. And it's kind of a middling thing for me, I guess. Got a little bit of a a background information about the, uh, the history of the production. And I don't know, uh, John, if this is something that you know more about, but did you know about the, the, the original, uh, adaptation that they were planning in 1965? No, I had no clue. Okay. I'm riveted now. Yeah, so <laughs> apparently uh, this was something that, you know, shortly after the novel was written, they went uh, actually to 20th Century Fox and they were trying to, to get it made in, in English because Toho didn't think it was possible to do in Japan at that time. Uh, so 
Komatsu is a little bit like I, I I think he might be a little bit like suspicious because the, he notes that like boy Michael Crichton was working at Fox at that time, so uh, if you'll remember the Andromeda Strain was a few years after that. So um, yeah, but they they have been trying to get this movie made for ever, and I guess it was really when uh, Haruki Katakawa became the the president of Katakawa Shoten that uh, they were able to basically sort of shift from, you know, lofty literature to, like, mass entertainment, and um, and that sort of was the impetus to, to make it. So they actually started the production in 1974 uh, and were, you know, shooting for years, basically. So uh, it's that's why this whole crazy project wound up costing like what two and a half billion yen something like that so just to reiterate you're saying that they actually shot some footage in 1974 that presumably actually made it into this final cut uh no they 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 were planning in development in 1974 oh, okay. So they, okay they they were shooting in 1978 oh, okay and, cool. and and that's still two for... years though that's a that's a long time yeah, for a Japanese movie, like, and in those times, yeah, that's crazy. And I mean, the budget again, yeah, uh, twenty-five or uh, two point five billion yen is. I mean, that that would be a big budget today. Yeah, um, that's crazy. But yeah, like we said, this movie pretty much happened because uh, a, the a rich guy was like, hey. I can maybe help the film economy. <laughs> and so he just threw a bunch of money at this this really ambitious thing. I mean, it's probably one of the most ambitious Japanese films ever made. And it did not make that money back. Absolutely not. <laughs> Isn't it weird, though, that like whenever... It's like the more money a Japanese production spends and the more... like. Hollywood stars and stuff it gets like the more doomed it is like internationally like it just seems like that's always the case is like they they do these international these things that are supposed to be huge international films and then like they get just like when they come here they're like straight to video straight to cable whatever well look what happened with the great wall it's a very similar situation yeah i mean there's a ton of those uh uh Gunhead, uh, even Final Wars, um, what's that, uh, oh, I have it on the tip of my tongue, um, Solar Crisis, uh, like, those all just, like, just land with a thud, it seems. Um, but, uh, it, interesting that Matt, um, prefers the first half, because, <clears throat> The second half is when I, I feel like the movie gets more focused and starts to feel like it's more about something. Because um, the first half is just a like a super cut of like the disaster film greatest hits. And then once they get to that Antarctica, it slows down and it starts being more about the people. Um, even then, though, I, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that really isn't developed the way that it should. Um, the romance... <clears throat> between Yoshizumi and um Olivia Hussey is very um like very it, it it's kind of the emotional 
um, like crutch of of the mo- well, really of the whole movie, but it's really not given much screen time. Um, and and there's a lot of things that I can see kind of what they're going for that really don't doesn't seem to really add up. Like uh, you know, there's a feeling that part of the reason why he he wants to do all this Yoshizumi is because you know um his pregnant wife you know she lost her baby during the the pandemic and then she committed suicide um uh along with she's a nurse so it's her and one of her um her child patients they commit they end up committing suicide after the kid's mom dies like and so, the, you know, I think there's a little bit of, like, guilt weighing on him that we never really get a chance to explore. Um, just because with something like this, there is also a whole lot of, you know, you have to deal with um, the political dynamics. You have to deal with, um, you know, the stuff, it, it, the same with the the stuff with the women. There's eight women and over 800 men left on Earth, and it's like, okay, how how do we how do we go about that? And they decide, you know, the women will basically have to stop thinking of sex as anything remotely desirable or, you know, it's just like they're, it's going to be their, just their part in society is like, you make kids for us. And they all have appointments set up to get with just random men and it's all very, ugh. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's like a couple moments of protest from the women characters and they're just like, oh, okay, (laughs) I guess that was when my, uh, that was when my fiance was like, yep, this was written by an old Japanese dude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the moments specifically is they're, they're basically like this woman, it's not shown, but they're talking about her being raped and yeah. And they're like, well, we have to do something about this, right? And they're and, like, well, we're not excusing it, but deal with it, basically. Yeah, yeah, they're like, uh, yeah, the, so a woman reports that she was raped, and, like, they take it to, you know, I guess, what do you, what do you call it, the government? Whoever, whatever you call yeah. the, enti- the governing call entity the of Antarctica, yeah. of the human race, basically, and they're like, well, we don't condone this, that was very bad, but... Uh, you know, I mean, it's gonna happen, so, like, okay. <laughs> Exactly. Which is horrifyingly realistic because even yeah. when we're not dealing with a pandemic that's killed most of the human race, that is how old white people that are, you know, uh, you know, senators, governors, and lawmakers—that is how they commonly treat rapes. <laughs> Which yeah, is we, a horrible have... thing to have to say, but it's the truth, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh... We should probably mention too the the reason there's all these there's all of these different countries had bases in Antarctica and they eventually decide to come together and so you have this like federation but of course it's led by the old white dude from the U.S. because it has to be I guess uh, it's just very gross and yeah, super uncomfortable at times but Bert I think you make a good point like there's there, they try to go for that comparison where you know his new love interest. Um, she's she has a baby he recounts the fact that he lost his child and like they're they're trying to draw those parallels but those never get to play out yeah like it definitely seems like thematically they're going for some sort of like kind of a redemption arc with him which maybe in the novel is um 
is maybe handled. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you can't handle better in a novel. And I don't mean to jump the gun because this is like a big point in basically my whole review part of this. And, you know, we can elaborate on it later. And I'm kind of interested to see how the rest of you guys feel. But like, um, the thing is, I really like the, the general story and there's a lot of really good stuff in this, but like we said, even at two and a half hours, it's just too much, too many characters, too many, there's just too much going on. So honestly, this feels like the kind of thing that would work really well is more like um, like an HBO miniseries, eight to ten episodes or something. Because um, it feels like that, only like it feels like someone crammed a miniseries into a movie. Um, like, I does... Does anyone uh, agree, disagree that this is maybe, maybe the film is maybe just the wrong format for this story? Yeah, I mean, I I watched it over multiple nights, so. I was going to say the same thing, Kevin. Like, I couldn't watch it, even though I liked it, I couldn't watch it all at once, and it was probably a a three-night viewing for me. Yeah. yeah, technically, it took me two different times to get through it, so. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, the, the whole time I was just thinking, like, this feels like if someone took, like, I don't know, I'll think of something recent, like Chernobyl or something, and tried to cram it into two and a half hours. Like, it wouldn't work. There would just be too much going on, and, like, that. that's how it feels. So, I don't know. I mean, if, if this does seem like perfect fodder for, like, a miniseries, whether that's HBO or someone stateside or someone in, in Japan, it feels like that would be a much more appropriate place for it because as it is even watching the longer cut um like yoshizumi is the closest we get to having a main character or like an audience cipher kind of character but even then like he doesn't get a chance to do much just because there's so much so much other stuff going on so it's it's kind of like how like one of the first things people talk about when they talk about like the phantom menace is they're like well there's no ca- main character in this movie. And, like, this is very similar to me. I wonder if some of that was trying to appeal to international audiences by downplaying the nominal Japanese protagonist and, and having all of this yeah. footage of, of American actors. And, I mean, to the point where they can basically edit the Japanese people out of the U.S. version. Which is essentially what they did, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and we'll get into the U.S. edit uh, in a little bit, because that's like its own can of worms. But uh, but yeah, that's my thing. Is just there's not enough um, time for anything as as long as the movie already is. Um, definitely more would be suited more for long form storytelling. Um, uh, but um, the stuff that I do think works well, I think. I mean, the whole first act is basically what we're living now, and it hits very close <laughs> to what we're from locales to you know how politicians handle it. Uh, it's very close to what we're dealing with at the moment, which is uh, so. Yeah, watching this was not um, uh, was not helping <laughs> my anxiety levels about current <laughs> events. Um, uh, but yeah, I think they do a really good job of just showing kind of the global spread of this thing and how, you know, people go out and party and how, you know, people aren't really, don't really seem that worried about it until it's too late. Um, 
there's scenes just showing like how overworked like nurses and doctors are like anytime they show like a hospital there's always like an office where everyone's just like passed out because because <laughs> they're they've just been working non-stop um and yeah man there's there's some stuff that's just downright eerie like the the kid that commit suicide over uh over radio um uh the wife and the and the uh or not the yeah the the girlfriend wife whatever she was of of uh the scientist um going on that speedboat with the kid and giving him all these pills and um a lot of really grim stuff uh even at the end when um he's like wandering the desert and he starts hearing like the skeletons talking to him and stuff. Um, things like that are really well done. Um, and just, yeah, just the, a lot of it is horribly depressingly realistic. And, uh, that's the stuff that I think really works and it really kind of fits the mold of just those kind of bleak disaster films of, of the seventies. Some nice miniature work also, you know, if you're one of the Tokusatsu fans, you can appreciate, you know, the plane crash sequence or the the submarine stuff. Yeah, and then there's a little, it's mostly like stock footage of mushroom clouds and stuff, but there's a little bit at the end, right, when they show like the Antarctic base and stuff blowing up, I think there's... Yeah, there's some at the end for sure. Yeah. Well, Kevin just made a good point because I didn't even realize there were any miniature submarines. So I'd say they were pretty good because they fooled me. Like, I didn't notice that at all. It is my understanding that they did get, like, an actual submarine for some of that stuff. Um, I, and again, the always reliable Wikipedia talks about talks about that. Um, but yeah, the, the miniature work when it's there is is a lot of fun. I think for me, the thing that I do enjoy most is that opening setup because you see the, the world kind of descending into chaos, but you, because you don't have that main character to follow and because the movie spends a lot of his time setting up the AR, the AM automatic response system for the nukes, because that's the president has a lot of interplay there and they're bantering back and forth about how the Russians might be behind the virus and all this different stuff. They set all that up for the payoff of the nuclear attack later on in the movie. Um, but it, it, because of that, you don't have a main draw. Um, but I do think everything related to the pandemic itself is both horrifying and also really well done. And you can just see how hospitals, especially completely and totally overrun and how it can turn, like things go from normal life to just utter chaos and then complete despair so quickly. Um, which again, like for me, this was like a sense of almost cathartic. I don't know if you would say relief, but like it was watching sort of what we're dealing with now or potentially dealing with. And um, it was just kind of an interesting viewing experience. I think I did not feel relieved. I don't know. Sometimes like (laughs) it's like the, you know, the, the sad guy that goes out and like listens to sad music too. Like that's some people do that. I think that's kind of what this might've been for me. I think that's why I wanted to watch it too. I mean, Honestly. Um Yeah, the it just geez, especially that first act, so much of it was like, Oh my gosh, this is like now. But yeah, there is definitely a lot of the kind of eighties kind of Cold War 
stuff in there, especially with with the nukes, which was very real for for its time. You know, we just talked about the last war, but yeah, yeah, the whole idea is well, we should arm our nukes just in case the other guy gets to this virus, and it's like that's the madness. That's the same kind of madness that. Uh, still happens really <laughs> um can we can we talk for a minute about the this the system that they're in place because like if an earthquake sets it off how good of a system is that exactly because earthquakes happen all over the world and there's been earthquakes in washington and like the the premise of the the end of the film is that an earthquake sets off this automatic response system then launching nukes at russia which russia has their own system that's basically the same thing and they launch the nukes back um, and they happen to target the American uh, Antarctic base, which is why everybody is trying to, to leave the base in the, uh, towards the end of the film. But like, why would the idea that this system is so um, trigger happy that obviously an earthquake could set it off is just like terrifying in a way? Well, I, I think I think uh, in in non pandemic life, I, don't, I like that. Like it's years later that that earthquake occurs, right? So I, I like I don't think that's just meant was ever meant to just be left on for years. It's just that a maniac left it on, and then he died, and then the rest of the population died. Yeah. And there was no one there to turn it off. <laughs> it seems yeah, more like a read on it. yeah, like it seems more like the kind of thing like. Cuban Missile Crisis kind of, like, a veiled threat more than something that was actually supposed to work. And then, yeah, the guy died, and no one was there to turn it off, and it just stayed there. I imagine even if there were, like, engineers that were on it that somebody's like, hey, an earthquake would set this off, they'd be like, well, you know, somebody at the base would turn it off if an earthquake started. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so yeah, I, I I think that an earthquake would would just be something that normally you'd be like, eh, well, that's no big deal. I'll just press off, but uh, that's not what happened. Um, and yeah, so that reduces the Antarctic population to even less. Um, so it's like, yeah, humanity is scraping to survive. Um. Well, so you can tell this movie was not cast by uh, an American studio because, like, uh, you have Chuck Connors, who's supposed to be playing, like, the British submarine captain, but he's very not British and doesn't even <laughs> attempt a British accent. Um, the Norwegians yeah. <laughs> the Norwegians are British people with British accents. Like, it's all over the place. Like I, so you can definitely tell that this was not cast by a native uh, speaker. Oh, there's a version of this where all of the English speakers are dubbed into Japanese anyway. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I think uh, I think it's the movie's ultimately not that great but i think that it's i would call it an interesting failure um and yeah i just i just yeah. don't think that the amount of stuff going on can sustain even a or can can su successfully be done in even a runtime as long as it is 
Like this needed to be like a long, long form TV series or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting failure. I would, that, that's a very good, uh, some summary of what this movie was for sure. Yeah. I, I think that just at the time, especially you wouldn't have been able to pull off a TV series on that sort of budget. And that's yeah. probably, um, uh, it's the kind of thing and that I happens like overnight now, but yeah, back then, yeah, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, so I can see why it was in development hell for 15 years. Um, and yeah, the Japanese version was really just on the bootleg circuit up until early 2000s when it was released as part of the Sunny Chiba Action Pack. Um, That's a misnomer. <laughs> well, yeah, first of all, this isn't an action movie. Secondly, I think Sunny Chiba's in a maximum of two scenes, maybe, in this? Yeah. I was going to say, I never actually knew which character Sonny Chiba was in this. Like, I could never pick him out. So he, I'm glad you told me like he's only, yeah. He's got like a handful of lines, some of which occur right before that kid kills himself. Yeah, he really doesn't, uh, He he's one of the scientists in the Japanese base. And yeah, he really only has a few, a few lines of dialogue, um... So it's weird that at this point in his career, he even... I mean, if if it wasn't Fukasaku, he probably wouldn't have done it, I would think, because he was a star by the time this was made, and he's pretty much a cameo. Yeah, well, it's it's Fukasaku and, and Katakawa, so, I mean, it was, you know, pretty much like a, a step along the way towards um, Legend of the Eight Samurai or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's... It, it, seems like he worked he liked to to work with Fukasaku a lot so it's probably just one of those things where all it takes is to you know a phone call hey can you come out here for a couple days it's wild that if Sonny Chiba was not in that movie we would have no U.S. release yeah yeah uh, right Japanese version <laughs> yeah that's that's very I mean, bizarre Meanwhile, in Japan, it's got like a 4K, nice, fancy release and everything. So, you know, I, I'm i hoping that at some point it gets sort of reevaluated and, and uh, a, a better presentation than sort of cram between Bullet Train and Golgo 13. <laughs> <laughs> so how many versions of this movie are there at this point? Because you, you talk, we talked about the American Cup briefly. Are well, there other different butchered versions? Well, that's a good question to ask because... John here is working on a book that is all about the different versions of different tokusatsu films. And he uh, graciously let us kind of preview his very long um, chapter on virus. So I will defer that question to him. Yeah, so full disclosure, that's honestly the main reason I watched Virus was to compare it with Day of Resurrection. And, uh, you know, Virus streams for free on Prime right now. Day of Resurrection, I think I saw on YouTube, and I literally synced them both up at the same time. And I would watch them, and, and I would watch the visual on one, and, and I could hear the audio for both of them. And I'd know there was a cut when the audio would quit syncing up. But 
the cuts they made sometimes were really minute. They would sometimes remove like one word of dialogue from a scene in the American version for I don't know what reason. And this would happen pretty much throughout the whole film. They would just shorten the dialogue. Uh, it's totally rearranged. Uh, so, you know, the Day of Resurrection starts out with the submarine uh, post-virus, like post-apocalypse, and it's looking at a desolate Tokyo. That's how Day of Resurrection starts, whereas Virus starts with a, a shot from the very end of the movie of uh, the main character walking across the sun. So it's it's kind of like how Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster got re-edited, but it's like way more extreme, you know, like just huge differences. Um yeah. But now as to how many different versions there were, I can't speak for like Europe, but as far as America went, uh, I believe there's two different versions. And I can't remember the run times, but uh, today I watched a totally different U.S. version than what I saw previously. Um, so the U.S. version that I saw previously on Amazon Prime, it it's, you know, again, it's just a condensed version of the movie, but it still ended with... Uh, Yoshizumi like walking across all of South America till he finally reunites with you know his his new girlfriend and the other survivors but this version I watched today like totally shocked me because uh, it just ends with the nuclear explosion in Washington and it's over they play like the the end credits and it's done there's you know it's very bleak so I believe there's yeah two different US versions there might be more yeah I know that um there was the initial version was the 108 minute version and then i think um i just kind of binged what information i could about this movie so i I can't remember the source offhand it might have been one of the i think it might have been um one of the Stuart galbraith books but yeah i think there was another one that was trimmed even more to closer down to in in the 90s um and and here's here's the has a uh, IMDb is listing 103 minutes, but you know, take that with a grain of salt. Okay, so here's the irony: is this is I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. So the one I've watched on Amazon today, I've got up. It's the 142 minute version, and again, this is the one that chops off like the happy ending. So I'm starting to think actually that the shorter ver- version is actually the one that contains the happy ending. Believe it or not. Because that's what I remember seeing, and I'm pretty sure the one that I watched a while back was shorter than this. It was like in the 90-minute range, so that's that's kind of odd that the shorter version would have additional footage in a way. Um, yeah, the, the... The original is 156 minutes, by the way. Yeah, so regardless, you're looking at like a lot of uh, of stuff that's cut... Yeah, and I mean, to give an example of how they re-edited it, you know, we keep talking about the scene where the kid dies over the radio. So that visual is in the U.S. cut, but it's overdubbed with different dialogue to be something totally different. I don't remember what it is, but they still use the footage, but it's like, just again, totally different dialogue to change it up. And like uh, Yoshizumi's girlfriend, the nurse... It's pretty much cut out of the movie entirely. I I don't think her suicide scene is in that, and a lot of her scenes in Japan uh, are cut out. You know, for example. Yeah, it's it would seem that um, that some of those dialogue edits were probably to make things a little bit less um, bleak, I guess. Which is interesting since it has the bleakest ending. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and they cut out some of the what I might call the corny stuff too, like in the Japanese version, the the evil general when he uh when he turns on ARS, he lets out this maniacal yeah. laugh, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like they cut that out of Yeah, they cut that out of Yeah, virus. he cackles like also, a yeah. Yeah, and then uh Kevin was joking about life is wonderful. Well, that's so in the uncut version when General Carter dies with Yoshizumi uh, he asks Yoshizumi, how do I say life is wonderful in Japanese? And Yoshizumi tells him, and he says that they cut that out of uh, virus, which might have been appropriate. I think that might have made some people roll their eyes, maybe. It's sappy, but I kind of like that part. I will concede. Um, that's another thing that I kind of would have liked to have a little bit more time with, is um, uh, Bo Svensson and... Uh, the scientist, you know, when they go on what is, well, for one of them at least, a suicide mission. But um, you know, you you get to see a little bit of a budding friendship there, and I that's another thing that I would have liked to. Um, like that's a movie premise by itself. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's the last three episodes of the miniseries, you know, <laughs> and here here it's like condensed into what fifteen minutes or something. Um, but yeah, what is there? It really works. I think it, most probably mostly because of the the performances, just because you know they're doing the best they can with without a whole lot of screen time for that plot thread. But that that's another thing that what is there I think works well. Um, you know, I, those are the characters that I would say really have character arcs, and yeah, that's just why the nature of this such a big sprawling kind of epic story just doesn't work for. A, a a feature film, you know. But yeah, I, I like the whole uh, life is beautiful thing, even though it's sappy and kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, John. Are you planning on reading the novel um, to further compare at any point? Yeah, so so Bird about every five minutes sends me a, a correction for writing Japanese books, <laughs> so I, I have to do a second edition one day. So I think uh, yeah, for that one day I'll probably do I'll probably read the book and uh, and do because in writing Japanese monsters I read uh, the Submersion of Japan novel to compare it to the film. So I think I'll do that with the Virus next time around. So I think so. Okay, you know I actually. Um... I thought the score in this was pretty decent, too. It was excellent. That was probably the best part of the movie. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a real mixed bag. Um, but, you know, it's not something that I would say to stay away from unless you just want something light and not timely to watch while you're in quarantine. <laughs> um uh, it, it might be something that you only watch once, um, but yeah, for every it it, it never I, n I never considered myself bored, even if I did feel the length every now and then. Um, I just wish that the stuff that worked had a chance to really kind of breathe, but there's just way too much going on in it. So it's it's kind of you know every now and then when you're like, oh, this is actually like really powerful, or oh, I'm really enjoying the the character dynamic here. It's always you know, cutting to another plot thread just because there's so much going on. Um, so, yeah, it's not the kind of thing that I would say, oh, it's bad, don't watch it. I would say watch it, and it might not be something you want to revisit, but 
Um, I would say it's it's worth a watch. Yeah, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, chances are you you can find the cut U.S. version at a dollar store near you with some really horrible uh, <laughs> cover art. <laughs> by horrible, by horrible, do you mean awesome? Um, the whole, whole cast photoshopped together and smiling. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. serious. Yeah, that's just honestly what they're yeah. like. Yeah, I would definitely, if you can, though, try to find the full version because to me, it's so much better. Yeah, and and you can find it on YouTube, and it's streaming on um, Tubi, which is a free. Um, streaming service that you can find on Roku or any kind of smart TV or an internet browser even. Um, they're the ones that just hit, put up Common Rider, the original. So there's a lot of cool stuff on Tubi. It's on there. It's it's Luckily, it's not so hard to find. And the Sunny Chiba action pack even, I think, is out of print at this point. So so luckily, this uh, the Japanese version is, you know, has made the rounds and legally available in in a couple places. So, you know, um, it's not like back in in our day when you know you had to settle for the bootleg DVD or or uh, get swindled into thinking it was an action movie. I mean, that's really the only reason to buy that Sonny Chiba action pack because you know Bullet Train and Golgo Thirteen are available quite widely. Uh, you know, in various other sets but uh for some reason this one was isolated in that one uh maybe it was under quarantine (laughs) (laughs) and the transfer on there is pretty decent too right it looks oh yeah yeah, it looks pretty good yeah Um, i mean uh, it's not quite the you know there's a blu-ray release in japan and uh, and a 4k ultra hd whatever but uh you know the dvd will certainly do in a pinch and probably probably a little i haven't checked out the uh the version that's on Tubi, so... And the the Japanese ver- uh, uh, home video versions have, like, a bunch of shit on them, like commentary, documentaries, interviews. I, I'm, like, I don't know if any of that is translated, but, um, but yeah, there's a, a nice version available there, so... Yeah, maybe one day. Uh, I mean, this movie definitely has the kind of talent behind it that has become... Either you know some of these names are cult to even mainstream, and you know there there is you know a boutique label could capitalize on that in some way. Um, did you know Masaki Tezuka was uh, one of the assistant directors on this as well? Now that I did not know. Well, now you know. Um, I have a few pieces of just kind of. Um, some random trivia bits that I found that uh, were interesting. Um, if my computer would stop being so slow, I will be able to pull them up. Um, <laughs> I know one of them was that Glenn Ford like couldn't remember his lines. Yeah, that's little, that's yeah, what I heard. They had everywhere. to use cue cards, which uh, is weird because I don't think his health was that bad and i mean glenn ford played the president and uh for people who aren't really cinephiles out there glenn ford is considered one of the greatest um actors you know ever um and uh so i mean it's weird that like you would think the guy would know you know he doesn't need to uh to have cue he he wouldn't need cue cards but yeah i I don't know i heard that too and um 
I mean, maybe that was just because he was a ha- having a hard time uh, working with the Japanese director and, and you know, going through a translator, so maybe they thought it would be easier just if he, he read his lines. and or I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, that's very kind of odd. Um, but, uh, uh, so... This all this pretty much comes from uh, an interview with Bo Svensson um, that Brett Hominick did. Um, he uh, he said that he often saw Masao Kusakari, um, who played Yoshizumi, being abused by the production staff. Um, he said they were very disrespectful of him, and he's been told that in Japan it's common for actors and actresses to be treated like crap until they become stars. Oh. Um, he said they yelled at him, and many times he was brought to tears. So uh, it sounds like the produ- the it sounds like you know it was a barrel of laughs for him. Um, and we uh, might mention too, he was the star of, uh, or he would played uh, Mickey in East by. Yes, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and um, I guess one of the kind of um, more common behind the scenes. Um, uh, stories is that uh, Christmas Eve, uh, the morning of Christmas Eve in 1979, the crew was on a a ship and it uh, it got hit by uh, an emerging underwater volcano, um, and so they had to deal with that whole disaster. Um, uh, luckily, nobody died. Um, and uh, another thing that uh, Bo Svensson uh, tells a story about how um, uh, Kusakari, the, the scene where they dived, um, Bo Svensson is a former Marine, and uh, Kusakari um, supposedly had some kind of diving training, so that was actually them that was diving in the underwater scenes, and... Um, Svensson said that uh, Kusakari's diving expertise was bullshit, is the word he says, Um, and he ended up saving him. I guess during the dive, he lost orientation, where instead of ascending, he went down further, and he got carried away by the current, and since Bo Svensson was the only person uh, on set that was in diving gear, he had to find him, and he found him downstream in the prop cage of a U.S. destroyer. And uh, it was basically a miracle that he could even find him because the water was so murky they could barely see in front of them. Um, so <laughs> that's the story of how Bo Svensson uh, saved him. Um, and then uh, he said he was drunk a lot of the time <laughs> when they made the movie, so he doesn't remember. So he doesn't remember much, but he did wow. say that. Uh, he he remembers getting along with everyone, and um, him and Kinji Fukusaku actually remained good friends up until Fukusaku passed away only a few years ago. So I guess um, I guess they stayed close after after the movie finished. It, it's w- weird because Fukusaku apparently wasn't you know first choice to direct it. Uh, looks like uh, John Frankenheimer and uh, George. Uh, Cosmatos were both sort of uh, tapped by uh, by uh, Katakawa, and um, they just uh, I, I guess they didn't they weren't interested or something. Yeah. Because eventually they went for an actual Japanese director for it. 
And F- uh, Fukusaku had experience directing, you know, international casts. You know, he did Message from Space and the the Green Slime, and um, you know, he'd he'd also put out a number of of hits as well. So I that probably had something to do with that decision. It is weird to think about how this would be a different film if, like, the director of like First Blood Part Two and Cobra was, was telling. <laughs> <him>. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's just weird. And is this the last, I mean, unless you were to count maybe like a final wars or a gunhead, but even those are still not quite as ambitious. Is this the last time a Japanese movie really made such a big swing? Might be the only time. I mean, yeah, everything it might else. Be the first damn pass. Yeah, because everything else I can think of is peanuts compared to compared to to this. Yeah, like I I really can't. From Japan, no, I can't think of anything. Maybe some other Asian countries, but yeah, I can't think of anything Japanese that was this big of a you know. Let's just throw all the money at the wall and get as many stars as possible and try to make a the biggest movie ever kind of thing. I mean, the closest you have is like Final Wars, Gunhead, and some of those other co-productions, but yeah, that's... But this costs like 20 times. Yeah, exa- yeah, I know, yeah, that's like, there's nothing even remotely comparable. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's kind of, it really is just kind of this enigma... We should mention that uh, this was also turned into a children's, or it probably it seems more accurately, a YA graphic novel in the mid two thousands. Which um, or real life today? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and then it was later <laughs> adapted by Life. Um, <laughs> right now, <laughs> so um, hooray for that. Um, so yeah, how many, um, ooh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of options here for a scaling system. Um, how many, uh, ooh, Matt, what's a good one? There's like so many, I don't know where to start. Uh, man, they're also bleak though. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, that usually, that's usually how it goes on this show. Their choice of uh, suicidal five-year-olds, uh, guy chanting "Life is beautiful." Um, I like suicidal five-year-olds. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like, I don't like them. Well, I don't not like them. I, <laughs> I don't not. I don't. I don't dislike them. You know, I hope they get help. Third uh, one dad of the year. <laughs> <laughs> How many suicidal five-year-olds do you give this out of five? Um. I'm at a, somewhere in between a two and a half and a three because I do think it's interesting. I also think it's quite long in the tooth. Um, I wouldn't like not. I, I wouldn't say don't watch it. I would say it's an interesting viewing experience, but I, I wouldn't say that I am in the mood to watch it anytime soon. So I don't know if you should be in the mood to watch a movie like this. Eh, well, the way 2020 has been going, you never know. Well, yeah. Get, get as many of your friends together in a room and watch it. Is that the? Is that yeah, what you're so you're, no one's gonna be like, oh yeah, let's <laughs> yeah, 
Let's watch some virus, guys. Well, we could be like the uh, people that went to a coronavirus party and also got the coronavirus. Let's do like a. This a would be a good movie them. to show it at one of those. Yeah. That that's that that's just when I expect the the cut to the end of prophecies of Nostradamus with a guy screaming, "This is all preventable." <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a three. Um. You know, it's not the kind of thing I watched and got frustrated with or even necessarily bored. It has enough throughout the long runtime to to keep you interested. It's just um it's just it's more just a, a movie of moving parts and some of those parts are compelling and some of them aren't so compelling and um, you know, the filmmaking itself is really good. The performances are generally good. The score is good. Um, the special effects for what is there is good. Um, it's just, yeah, this is something that could have, could have waited another 10 years and been picked up as a mini series and, and probably would have been better. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with a, a three, you know, it's not, I don't hate myself for watching it or anything like that. I give it four suicidal five-year-olds and one suicidal toddler, so like <laughs> four and a half. Okay, so you're 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 going all out there. <laughs> I really liked it. I it really held my interest, and I just enjoyed it. I don't know, but I also liked uh, Sayonara Jupiter. So maybe there's something wrong with me. There is, but that's... and Legend of the Dinosaurs. Yeah, and Legend of the Dinosaurs. <laughs> that's right. That's why Matt, I couldn't watch Virus today because every Tuesday I watch Legend <laughs> of the Dinosaurs, and I had to do that first. Yeah, that's... John, you should have you should have been here earlier while we were fighting over uh, over Bye Bye Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was. I thought we were all. Did y'all do the conference call? Was I the last one? Probably like at the gym or something. I don't. I don't know. Sounds, <laughs> no, that sounds bad. right. <laughs> What's yeah, you, Kev? I'll, I'll be. Uh, I'll be. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll end things on a positive note. I think I will because canonically, uh, Antarctica was not affected by the virus. That means that the penguins are surviving. So I'll give this a three, maybe three and a half penguins out of five. Okay, and. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, it's definitely a sobering view, so it's not going to uh, appeal to everyone, and it, it is very slow. Uh, you know, I, I watched it myself over a couple nights. My fiancé wandered in and out and got alternately uh, bored and offended by the film. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know there are there are haunting moments in it and there are moments that will stick with you and there's a lot to like within it uh and to some extent that length makes it feel more real but at the same time just as it's it's brutal to to sit down and and try to watch the whole thing you know what is interesting is that Aside from a couple characters, like the Henry Silva character that activates the ARS and stuff like that, um, 
overall, the movie shows a pretty positive view of humanity um, in that everyone is kind of just always thinking about just how do you stay progressive and how do you move forward and you know even even when you have things like the the president or you know some some characters that are deemed probably incompetent nobody is seen as being like evil about it aside like i said aside from henry silva as the general everyone really is seems to be trying to do what they can to to stop the virus, to preserve the human race, um, which is where the movie is a little bit more comforting in that it's really showing the the world working the best that they can together, and sometimes they don't always work the best together, but even when they don't, their intentions are good. And, yeah, at a time like this, maybe that is something that we need to see because that's definitely not happening now. <laughs> Um. So well, I mean, it it does get kicked off because of the Cold War scuffling. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. But but it gets worse because of Cold War scuffling. So I think the message is just that it takes a, a handful of antagonistic, uh, paranoid folks, and then everything can go bad for everyone. Yeah, but it really seems to be showing that overall humanity can come together and and do the right thing, which. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I believe that of reality right now. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there's, there's, I guess, where you can find some comfort in it. Maybe it'll get you to think about it that way. Um, I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, I, it, it, our, our ratings are all over the board. So, as mixed as we are, the movie itself is also, you know, its own mixed, uh, mixed bag of of things. But it's definitely worth a watch at least once. So, um, you know, I wouldn't clamor for you to go out and watch it like yesterday, but I would also say, yeah, you know, give it a shot. It's easy to find now. Um, but anyway, that's Virus. Um, uh, anyone have anything else they want to uh, add? Uh, b- check out the Kaiju Transmissions Facebook page for what, depending on how many more we can find, maybe a running uh constantly updated gallery of shitty virus dvd covers um so i can advertise that um of course uh we will once we actually read the the thing because it's freaking dense um expect john to come back to to talk about his new book writing japanese monsters uh which john do you want to give a quick plug to just what what that's all about there yeah, it's just all about the writing process. Um, you know, it kind of sprang out of the lost films as I was working on the appendices on that book, and I just realized there was so much to each film's development. Uh, why not do a whole book on it? So yeah, so going so yeah, over the to, yeah. the different drafts of each script for different Japanese monster movies. Um, I'm I'm not even a hundred pages in, and I'm learning a ton. Uh, great stuff. So that is available. Um, of course, Kevin, you can check out Mazer Patrol for his blog, uh, which he uh, will update when he damn well feels like it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, one of, one of these days. <laughs> um, 
uh, and of so yes, pick up writing Japanese monsters, and of course, Kaiju for Hipsters, uh, Kevin's book. And um, is there any? Oh, Matt, we should plug the Kaiju Quarantine uh, since you are the more hands-on of the two of us. I will let you do that because I don't want to speak, uh, say the wrong thing or whatever. Yeah, so Saturday, April 4th, and Sunday, April 5th, there will be a uh, four-movie marathon each day, so eight total movies. We're partnering with uh, seven other podcasts. Each of us are going to pick one movie and do kind of a live commentary and engage with the uh, people in chat and stuff and answer questions and just have a good old time. But we'll be covering Monster Zero, and that is at uh, 4.30 Central, 5.30 Eastern on Saturday, April 4th. And we're partnering with like uh, Kaiju Weekly Podcast, Tokyo Live, Gargantua Cast, uh, Monster Island Film, um, Film Vault, Monsters and Men Podcast, and the Kaiju Groupie. So we're, we're, there's a bunch of like new kind of upstart podcasts, and um, we just wanted to do something that would be more uplifting than Virus. And I'm really excited because Monster Zero is one of my favorites, so that's why we're doing that one. Yeah, so while we're all locked down, um, tune in. There will be details. Uh, I guess we'll be running the chat through a Discord. Is that what the yeah, kids call I posted it? The, I, there's a Discord channel, so basically it's like um, people use it often for like video games and stuff like that. But you can join that. There's a chat room. Um, and then they're going to be streaming the movie from Discord, so you can log in watch the film you'll hear our audio commentary and then in the chat window you'll be able to like actually interact with us and ask questions and i'll be fielding um questions kind of in real time as best we can and we'll have some information about you know kind of monster zero and just it'll be a lot of fun and and there's like uh, there's um other movies will be like stuff like reptilian uh, godzilla versus gigan paramecha godzilla and i think there's going to be uh the godzilla final wars will be the end film but they're going to have um a lot of people from every every other podcast come on that particular one. It'll be kind of a, a free-for-all, so that'll be interesting. Um, but we just want – it's something that we want to do to lift people's spirits up, especially since we're all just – most of us anyway are stuck at home. And uh should be a good time. Yeah, so you will have the chance to not only listen to us do a live commentary, but you can uh, talk to us in the chat, and we can answer questions in the chat as we go. Um, so yeah, that hopefully, uh, people will tune in and, and will be a a grand old time. Uh, okay. So I don't think we have any plugs left. Um, that's virus. If you want to look at something that's very realistic to whatever the hell reality is right now, um, it's easy to find. So, uh, I think we good, we good, uh, to get out of here. We're good. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.